We're continuing in our series, The Joy of Knowing. And uh, last week we learned that it's obvious. There are some obvious things in life. It's obvious who a child of God is and who a child of the devil is. And John says this telling factor is this. It's the practice of a person's life. Does the person practice righteousness or does the person practice lawlessness? Open defiance of God. Hey, Martin Luther on this passage said this. Uh, he said, that the needle sometimes shaken always reseeks the pole. Example here of a compass. The needle sometimes shaken always reseeks the pole. And for the believer, the follower of Christ, although sometimes in life we are shaken often by our temptations and how we go astray, the true believer will always return to practice righteousness. In fact, we found out that in um, verse 10, at the very end, he says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Pretty telling. Pretty telling. The one who does not love his brother. And so here this morning, we're going to move on to this different section of it's obvious. So we might think of it as it's obvious uh, part two, or maybe um, the sequel, or it's still obvious, as Mark said last night, as I was trying to think, what's the title? Because it's still obvious. We're going to look at this and see that it's obvious of what God is doing and what is going on. So we're going to read the passage. First uh, John 3.11 we're going to stop in the middle of the passage of verse 18, because if so, we would not make it to Sunday lunch, and we'll pick up the rest of it next time as we meet. Verse 11, verse 11, for this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother, and for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. And then John does an aside here. He says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Verse 14, for we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And this passage, John continues down his reasoning, his argument. First, the believer, the child of God, practices righteousness. Secondly, the child of God loves other believers. This morning's a simple proposition, very simple proposition for us to understand. And this will all wrap around this because you are a child of God, and we're assuming you are. As you evaluate, if you're a child of God, you must practice righteousness, number one, we saw last week, and number two, love fellow believers. It's very simple. Practice righteousness, love other believers, fellow believers. So, number one of my simple points here, love one another. 
love one another. Verse 11. You see how John kind of rounds this out in verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. Now, stop for a second. For the, the idea of the beginning, John, when he speaks so far in the book, uh, his letter right now, he is talking about the beginning as the beginning when Christ gave them the gospel message. And so God, Christ has given them the gospel message. And so as he's saying, is he referencing the beginning? This is the beginning he's talking about. So in the beginning, Christ said this, that you should love one another. Love one another. What is it to love? Well, the word here is this Greek word agapao, to have a non-sexual affection and love for a person, and their good is understood by God's moral character. So it's defined by God's moral character, this love, especially characterized by a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in or on the behalf of another. Another person's behalf. Think about this. Love is sacrificial. And we'll see this. So what did Jesus say about love? Jesus had, had lots of words to say about love. We read them this morning. I'll read them again. A new commandment I give to you in, 1 John, uh, in John 13. This new commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. So as Jesus has already said in John's hearing, and John is giving this to us, he's relaying this to us, Jesus has always said, already said a command for them to love one another. And oh yes, by the way, all will know that you're my disciples because you have this love for one another. They'll be able to tell. And so John gives us the positive example and the encouragement and, yes, the command from Jesus, but he doesn't stop there. He gives a negative command. In verse 12, he kind of gives us the negative side of this. He says, not in contrast to Cain. Well, who remember Cain, Cain and Abel, who was the evil one, of the evil one, and slew his brother. And John says, why did he slew his brother? Why did he kill his brother? Why was that? Well, it was because his, Cain's deeds, were evil. So Cain's deeds were evil, and his brother Abel's, Abel's brother's deeds were righteous. He gives us this negative example. He says, remember, this is what it looks like. If you're of the evil one, your deeds are always unrighteous. Your deeds are always of lawlessness, open defiance. And so this is the example of what could happen with your deeds being evil. However, Abel's was righteous. God tells us that. He says, oh, and by the way, in this aside in verse 13, by the way, and this is the only imperative in this, these verses we're looking at today, do not be surprised, don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Okay? What is he saying? Don't be surprised. We talked about Cain, talked about Abel. And he said, don't be surprised about this. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be offended. Don't be hurt. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. It's common. They're of their father, the devil. That's just part of who they are. And oh yes, that was part of who you were before Christ and the work that Christ did. So don't be surprised. He continues. In this next portion, he gives evidences or assurances of salvation because he, he uses the word know. Remember, this is the joy of knowing. This, we've entitled the series. He says this, we know 
that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Stacey, is John getting all soft here talking about love? I mean, is he, is he really, you know, because we, is, you guys stop talking about love. Is John getting soft? No, John is not. He's relaying the command, and he says, let me tell you the assurance that you're in Christ. We know that we have passed. We understand. We have experiential knowledge that we have passed from death into life by this result that we love the brethren. We love those who are in the body of Christ. We love these people with a, with a, 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 a love that's supernatural because it's a love from Christ. It's the love of God. So here's the cause and effect. We've passed from death to life. That's the cause, that passing. And now the effect is that we love one another. This is what John is saying here. John's giving us the insurance. So we have an evidence alert, we'll say. Okay, how do we know? that we're a child of God because there's supernatural love for the brethren in our hearts. There's a love that's not a natural love of, of a human love of a fleshly love because we don't have the capacity to love really well, do we? We think we do, but we really like ourselves better. And he says the, the assurance, the evidence is that we have the supernatural love of God in our hearts for other believers. And as, as Hebert in his commentary says, is conversely, conversely, the absence of love reveals spiritual death. That absence of the love reveals that there's something that has not happened. That passing from death into life has not happened at all in our, in our lives, in our hearts. So we have this. And so John's going to expound on this. This contrast, the assurance, and now negatively, he says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Wow, John, come on, where do you get off saying, I'm a murderer just because I have hate? It's not that bad, is it? That's just down beside my heart. That's just something nobody else sees. And John says, you're a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding or dwelling in him. Where's John getting all this? Is he just making it up? No. He learned well of Jesus. Jesus, Matthew 21, 24 um, uh, Matthew 5, 21 through 24, he says, 21, said, you have heard that the ancients were told, uh, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder will be liable of the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says of his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Not you have against them. They, he has something against you. You leave your offering there before the altar and go. And first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. See, John learned of this, of what Jesus said, of the relationship that should be those between those who are his Children. Jesus again in John 8 44, he says, You are your father, the devil. He's speaking to those who are listening in his, his message and, and the Pharisees in the crowd. You are their father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
And that's why John says in his epistle, back to our text in verse 15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's not a word that's used very much in the New Testament. Literally a man killer. It's only used in 1 John and then in the, the Gospel of John in 844. Herschel Hobbes in his commentary says, murder is in the heart before it is in the hand. That's what Jesus is saying. Have you got hatred in your heart? It's no longer what the, the act that you commit physically. Okay? It's the act, it's the, the mind, the thought, the hatred that distinguishes a man for the one who follows God, the one who follows the child, uh, follows the devil. What this really does is speaks to the incompatibility of the love of God and hatred, this kind of hatred and this kind of animosity in the body of Christ. Stop and think about, it, about your relationships. Stop to think about how you deal with other people. What level of anger or even hate is in you? There may be a point of which that may be evidence that you have never come to receive the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Or as a believer, this is building up in you and it is a sin and you must, you must take that to God for forgiveness. We've learned last Sunday, the previous message, the believer will not long practice sin. The needle will again point to north and he must continue to practice the righteousness and not lawlessness, open defiance in God's word. What about you as a believer? Someone wronged you? Hurt you? Spoken ill of you? It's one thing to seek justice for illegalities. Okay? But it's another thing to have hate and bitterness spring up. Start with yourself. How do you deal with the circumstances of life? What God has allowed, if you're indeed a believer, what God has allowed in your life, how do you deal with that? With hatred, with bitterness? Kind of a building up of that? You tell yourself that I have a right to be angry and to hold a grudge against people? John would say, no, you do not have that right. It is indeed sin. Strife. Anger, animosity. Can I, can I draw, draw two modern-day examples for us? Um, believers dividing over political strife. Okay? Um, I wish there was a filter on Facebook that said, remove politics. Give me moral virtue or remove politics. Have you allowed your political leanings to cause you to break fellowship with another believer? May I be so bold to say that John would say and the scripture would say you are in sin. You're in sin. You think about John's culture. Nero, anyone? I mean, go picket Nero. That didn't, yeah, it wouldn't work out too well. <laughs> Off with his head. 
Better yet, find a cross. That's one of the Gospels supreme. You look in the New Testament at the, the works of the Apostle. And yes, they would deal with error. This is not, not dealing with error and doctrinal error. They would deal with that. Peter um, had a little con- confrontation with Paul about what? About what salvation was all about. Okay? He said, okay, um, Paul said, it's, it's Jesus plus nothing. Okay? So it's not that we do not deal and, and kindly work through error of doctrine. It's everything else that's, that we can disagree on that we call, let cause divide us. Sin. How about religious strife? How is our religious discourse? Again, Peter and Paul. What about, I think, Paul when he separated from Barnabas? But then he, later on he says, oh, yeah, I think I want John Mark. Hey, there's some disagreement there, but you see that reconciliation reading between the lines of what God is doing, and God is actually, through that, furthering the work of the gospel. Okay, so there is sometimes that we have disagreements, and we look at doctrine, but how we disagree. See, every confrontation that we have should be for the cause of reconciliation, for us and the body of Christ, reconciliation with the word of God and with Scripture. And if it's not, then we are selfish, we're prideful, and we think we know more than God. So if we allow hate to, to set up in our heart, if we harbor that hate and we keep it as a pet, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Whew, John. John steps on her toes. So first point, love one another. Point two. Point two is follow your example. So after this heavy stuff, he comes back. So what is our example on how to love? And obviously that example is Jesus. That example is Jesus. Verse 16, he continues. We know by this that he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Two thoughts here, sacrificial, giving. This is the work of Christ that he's shown us as an example. First of all, he laid down his life for us. Jesus came, holy, righteous God, no sin in him, to give his life to redeem sinful, fallen, rebellious, defiant, hateful, prideful, insert all the other adjectives, humans, such as we are. And he has given us, we have experienced that love. We understand that love because Christ loved us. He laid down his life for us. Then John says something remarkable. So, if Christ did it, then we must also do the, thing, the same thing. We ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. It is something that we should do. It implies a moral obligation to lay down our lives for another believer. Wow. It's that reciprocal action to others because of what God, Christ, has done for us. 
And John is being pretty strong there. He's laying out a level of love that is different than any other love in the world. In his time period, there was no other world, no other love like this in the world. Jesus, when he broke into history, showed us a love. The love that the Father had given earlier and had been demonstrating through his children and, and trying to bring them back to himself. Jesus himself, again, once again, demonstrated the love of God and laying himself down for us. And that is our example. A sacrificial love. A sacrificial love. That's our example. We, the children of God, are do the same. You know, it's interesting. There's two, one of two reactions to this. First of all, it's like, um, whoa, Stacy, that's pretty radical. You know, laying down your life for somebody, for another human. But that's what the scripture says. Well, the other reaction is, oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Thinking, yes, I'm never going to happen, right? We're in the Western culture. We're okay. I'll, I'll never have to do that. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll raise my hand for that. And to those people, John continues in verse 17, because he said, so if you're willing to give down your, uh, lay down your life for, the, for a fellow believer, what about your stuff? What about your stuff? Verse 17, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? John, please, no. You keep getting us right there. Not our stuff, really. Our stuff? We might say, hey, I'm brave, I'm heroic, but it's interesting, the word here, the closes up the heart, uh, heart bowels or inward parts. Um, To close up one's heart is to have no compassion or no pity. That's to say, too bad. Keep on walking. Um, Good Samaritan. What happened to the Good Samaritan? Until he came along, everybody else said, ooh, that's bad, let's walk over to the other side of the road. Let's not touch him, let's not bother that one. Hmm, pretty bad. Be warmed and filled, keep on walking. The Good Samaritan came, gave of himself, his time, his money, his care, his love. Why Jesus uses that parable here. So how does one who has good, God's provided, why does God give you the world's goods for you to use them in his his work for his people right? and it says something about us when we have the world's goods and we hold on to them it says a lot about us it also says about it uh, <clears throat> maybe you've been here when you don't have the world's goods but you're still stingy with them And then we wonder why God doesn't bless. Well, we wouldn't, we've, he's seen no evidence that we would be, respond in kind with what he gives to us. So John says, how does the love of God abide in this person? How does, how does the love of God abide in this one? And I want you to think about it in two contexts. First, right around us in the, our own body, our own fellowship, Financially, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all these areas we have. And most, for the most part, people don't advertise when they, when they are going through struggles. And so you have to kind of seek it out. Not to be rude, but just say, hey, kind of help. 
You'll listen to the Holy Spirit when he says give. And you and I will have opportunities, and we may have more opportunities soon, to give to those who could use the kindness, the act of giving. From those of us who have been given some small thing for us to share. The second context, yes, immediately around us. I want to think about our aspect of other believers in the world. Think about those in foreign countries who are in persecution. And we hear stories and we continue. Um, Frontline Missions is good to send out a report um, and to talk about those who are in need, who are being persecuted across the world. There's a, a pastor by the name of Brunson who is held in Turkey. And now they're saying he's a Kurdish sympathizer, so they don't want to release him. For those who are undergoing persecution, how is our heart? What are we willing to do because of what God's done for us? See, I don't have much. It's the widow's might. Why did Jesus say that she was so great? Because she gave what she had. She gave all she had. More than those who had a lot, and they gave an amount, but it didn't really hurt them. As we look to those around us and those across the world who need the grace of God, who need the strength, who need financially, open your hearts to them. Show the love of God abides within you. You practice righteousness. You're continuing to live in such a way that your trajectory is toward righteousness and things, the right part of the moral law of God. You continue there and you open your heart to those who are in need. And John finishes today for our, our purposes, verse 18. Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue. He's not saying, don't tell people you love them. Careful. He's saying, don't let that be what is all you do. Don't be the ones in James. Hey, be warm, be filled. Hey, see ya. Yeah, I sure hope you, hope you find some shoes. Yeah. Too bad as you walk off. I sure hope you find a meal and as you drive up to the, the fast food line. Drive through, that's what it's called. Little children, let us not love in word, with word or with tongue, but in deed. See, if God gave, Jesus gave sacrificially, and he gave of himself, and he calls on us to give of ourselves, we are not just to give the words to it, just to say things, but to give from our, and to put feet to action. Yes, to give in deed and in truth here, in true giving. And this is our example of Christ. And so I would say, verse 18 says, make it real. Make it real in your life as you see. Open your heart. Now, I understand personalities, and some of us are more oblivious than others. And I'll put myself in the oblivious category. Okay? Fortunately, God has given me a wife who's not oblivious. But that's no excuse for me. There's no excuse for me to not to have the, the mercy and the pity and the care and the love to say, 
God's given me some little small thing. How can I give to others? And, 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 and John says, make it real. Make it real. Express your love, yes, in words, but more so in actions. And that is the application here. He's saying in this word, apply it. Apply your love. Make this real in the lives of others. And here particularly in the lives of believers, he's talking about. And he's not excluding on purpose those who are not believers because they will know as we give to others and as we give to them the love of Jesus through us. But if we can't even give to those in the body of Christ, we can't even love those in the body of Christ, how will they see that our Jesus has done anything to change us? And then why would they want their Jesus if we are the representation of him in that way? If you call yourself a child of God or a follower of Jesus, I wonder, is there the evidence of love to prove it? Maybe you have that practicing righteousness down and you're, you're really good about doing everything right. And you have faith and you have um, knowledge and all of these things, but you don't have love. What did Paul say? You're a bunch of noise. 1 Corinthians 13. It's a bunch of noise. So we as believers must, from our hearts, love and as simple as we can boil it down, and John does a wonderful job of this, is to love one another, to follow Jesus' example, to be sacrificial, to be giving, not only of our lives to others, but of our stuff, our things to others, because it's all going to burn, burn up anyway. It doesn't matter what we amass. You're not going to take it with you. So why don't we? Why don't we? Simply, pride. From pride, selfishness. Our pride keeps us. Because when we are prideful, when we're selfish, even the people dearest to us are just pawns, or chess pieces in our board, the board of our lives. We want to have everything. We want to control. We want to be selfish. Uh, this is something that when I do premarital counseling with uh, couples getting ready, man, I hit this as hard as I can. Selfishness. I want what I want. I don't care if I'm married to you. I still want it. Don't bother me. Pride. Selfishness. A lack of love. That spills over in every relationship of life. Friends. Coworkers. Fellow believers in the body of Christ here in our assembly and in other assemblies. It spills over. If we have pride, then we look at people in other churches and say, well, our church is better than their church. Can't be. You got me as a pastor. Anyway, um, we, we look at those things and we say, we say we're better, we're selfish, we totally violating the command of God to love, to love unconditionally, sacrificially. And all of us struggle with selfishness. There's not a one, one believer who does not. And dads, it's your day. Happy Father's Day, by the way. It's your day. How do the ones that look up to you, how do they see the love of God revealed in you? It's been said many times before that children form their view of God by how their father acts. 
dads. Scary, huh? Men and women, our love must be seen, felt, evidenced. John says, don't tell me you are a follower of Christ and do not have love in your heart. The Holy Spirit says, there is no evidence if you are not loving others. You know, it's easy. It's easy to get upset. You know, mad at this institution, fire with this, all this stuff, and there's so build up anger and, and, and all this animosity. And you look and you say, Lord, I don't want to be that angry person. I want to evidence the love of Christ in my heart. Jesus died for you. If you indeed are a follower of Christ, he has died for you. And he calls to you to allow the Holy Spirit to work, to reign in your heart, so that you may love and love in such a way that people say, that one, he is a disciple of Christ. She is a disciple of Christ. I want that Jesus. And our mission here at Reaching Souls and Building Lives Together in Love, love is what we must have. Because you're a child of God, you must walk in righteousness and you must love other believers. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, you are indeed mighty and powerful. Oh God, I, I marvel that you have loved us. And that you have cared for us and you have brought us redemption through Jesus. As we look at the sacrifice of Jesus, we stand in awe and amazement. That he would love us. We're wretches. But because of that love, we who know Jesus now stand as children of God. So God, would you help us? To live in such a way that draws attention to your righteousness and your glory. Would you give us strength that we might love one another? And so might we evidence we're a child of God. Oh God, if there's one here who does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray today they'd be so attractive to the grace and the love and the mercy of Christ. That we desire to have that freedom and rest from the bondage of anxiety and sin. Would you do a work in all of our hearts today? Which in Christ I pray. Amen.